0: Before I introduce Don, who really needs no introduction, but I want to take just a minute to say thank you to all of those from our class that are teachers. Because you don't know how it thrills me to call you and you say yes. I don't have to worry about that at all. And I want to say a special thank you to four who have just taken us through. Don will the last again in that series. Uh, John Sharp, George Waite, Roger Davis, and Don McNew. Thank you for This series. I'd also like to take a moment to say a big thank you to Doug Tatum because Doug helps make sure that not only you can hear because of making sure the sound system's up and running, but anything that needs to be done with the electronics in the room to show videos and so forth. And then of course he posts the lessons on the website. So thank you, Doug. Mm -hmm. Now, now's the time that I get to introduce the speaker. As I normally do, I'll send a note to the next teacher and ask, is there anything that you would like for me to say by way of introduction? Please let me have your biography or some information. So I get a note back from Don and he says, well Al, whatever you're going to say, just say it and let her rip. So so Don, you ask for this. (laughs) not only is is Don a friend we're in the same covenant group he is also perhaps you don't know but he's a very good travel agent last year as Trudy and Linda now were planning to make a little trip up to the Amish country Don said well have you thought about going through West Virginia we said no but we will (coughs) so he gives us a map and a list of things to see and thank you that added so much to the trip And then something else you may not really think about when you think about Don, but you know he has a title as part of being in this CUC class. So I would like now for you to join in welcoming our first gentleman in waiting, Don (laughs) uh McNeil.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Couldn't wait to hear the title. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> had to worry, but... Yeah,
1: he did. Um, Doug? <laughs> Alt-tab. Alt-tab. Okay.
0: Together.
1: Okay. That's why we need Doug. You know, <clears throat> blessings on each of you. This is a day you've been waiting for, I know, because this is the final
0: <laughs> message
1: on worship and stewardship, and I know you have been looking forward to this day, but I got to tell you, um, I was telling Ann the other day, after after uh three excellent messages, truly, on the uh, worship and the stewardship, I said, you know, there's not much left for me to say, and I feel just a little awkward trying to put this together, and I said, you know, John came in here, and he had Chuck News Church, the videos he showed it was really entertaining, along with his message. George brought an entire concert in a Sanctuary Choir for his background. And then Roger, Roger had every mention in the Bible of stewardship. There's nothing left. And then he got up there and he had those blue slides, the IBM blue, and in his professional way. He gave a, just a, a terrific uh, outline of stewardship. And I told Anne, I, I really am a little nervous about this, because I don't know how to follow that. And I said, the class really deserves a good message. She came over, <coughs> took my hand, and said, as only a loved one could, she said, you know, don't worry about it. Three out of four is not bad. <laughs> so,
0: with that
1: But I did find some things to talk about. Here's what I'd like to do. Now, this slide before I heard Roger last week, the first bullet was a different perspective. Well, he got into my way just a little bit, so I had to change it to a slightly different perspective. We're going to look at what the Bible tells us about stewardship and what our stewardship says about us, and then. The last question is, are we really pleased with our stewardship? Yeah, let's see. How many have read The Purpose Driven Life? <laughs> Just about everybody. Those of you who haven't, I highly, highly recommend. And I want to read to you what Rick Warren said. Do you need to lie back. No, I'm going to find it. Uh, Those of you who read it, what's the first sentence in the book, the entire sentence? Do you remember? It's It's not about you. Your purpose on life is not about you. In fact, the full name of this book is A Purpose Driven Life. What on earth am I here for? And here's what Warren said. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or your wildest dream. If you want to know why you were put on this planet, then first you must begin with God. Warren says, you were made by God for God. And until you understand that, life is not going to make a lot of sense. And he goes on to say, it is only in God that we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance... And our destiny. He says you were made for God, not vice versa. Life is about letting God use you for his purposes. Just keep that thought in mind. Unlike the purpose of your life, where Warren says it's not about you, I believe stewardship is only about you and me. Only. In Paul's letter where he was uh, describing God's purpose for the people. He said, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Peter said, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In advance. We, we were chosen by God to do his work and speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you. You know, regardless of what we think, regardless of what we believe or how we behave, Jesus invites us to follow him. And he didn't say, you know, if you'll stop doing these things, you could follow me. He didn't say that. He didn't say if you start doing these things, then you can follow me. He said, Follow me. When he was gathering his disciples um, Peter and Andrew were you know, they were washing their nets. He came up to them. He said, Follow me. They did. Then he John and James, they were at their boat. He said, Follow me. And they did. So you may remember Chuck Savage spoke, preached. He preached about a month ago. He said something that really stuck in my mind. And he said, We are to do God's work. And then he said, I cannot tell you. What following Jesus would do for you but I can tell you what following Jesus did for me And as I remembered that and I included that in my little script I the question just came to mind and believe me I am well aware of before whom I stand but the question is are we really following are we this is a rhetorical question just keep it on your mind if you would are we following to the extent that we could now Everybody knows the uh, story of the Good Samaritan. And that's where the lawyer came to Jesus and he said, What do I have to do to have life, eternal life? Jesus said, You're the lawyer. You know the law. What's it say? And he said, Well, it says to love the Lord your God with all of your, your heart, soul, strength, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, Do that and you will live. Well, he wanted to test him a little bit further. And he said, Who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus said, well, there was this man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, I've not been in the Holy Land, but many of you have. And some of you have told me what that trip is like. Um, In fact, the Bible says he walked down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And if you know your geography, Jericho is north of Jerusalem. The Bible says he walked down. down That's right. Because Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is about 800 feet below. it's about 18 miles, I think. Treacherous, treacherous road. And it was a lot of places to hide on that road with big boulders and stuff. And that's where the robbers hung out to rob people on the way down the road. And this is what happened, as you know. This man was robbed and beaten, left on the side of the road for dead. And along came a priest. And he saw the body way up the road, and he crossed to the other side and went by. Then wasn't long a Levite came by, same thing, he saw him, he crossed the road, and went around, then came the Samaritan, he went to the to the man, saw he was alive, addressed his wounds as best he could, and then took him to an inn, and he asked the innkeeper to take care of him, feed him, let him rest, and he paid him, and he said, I'll be back in a few days, and if I owe you more money, I'll pay it, and Jesus asked the lawyer, he said, so which of the three was the neighbor, and he said, well, it had to be the Samaritan, he's the one that showed mercy, what did Jesus say next?
0: Go and do likewise.
1: What, what's that now? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. He didn't say, you know, you might want to think about doing good like the Samaritan did. He didn't say that. He didn't say check on your neighbors once in a while. He didn't say, why don't you get a bunch of your friends together and once a month and once a quarter, feed the hungry. He didn't say that. He said, go and do. Pretty simple language. Go and do. Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus said, well, by the way, did you know that the Good Samaritan parable is only in one gospel? Uh, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And that's in Matthew chapter 7. Now, doing the will of my Father uh doesn't necessarily mean to stop doing bad things. What it really means is do your obligation of, of works for mercy. In the Gospels, we get a little preview of the Last Judgment and how people were punished. People were not punished for murder. They weren't punished for adultery. They were punished for failure to do works of mercy. Matthew 25 says Jesus was speaking to uh, to his disciples privately, and uh, he gave them a very severe warning on the Last Judgment. And it's been referred to as separating the sheep from the goats, the righteous sheep from the unrighteous goats. And what he said was, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes. You didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't help me. And they will answer, he said, Lord, when did we see you, hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison, and we didn't help you? And he said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do with the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, and the righteous shall live. Now, none of us have unlimited resources, and none of us could probably take care of all of the needs of our community, let alone the world. Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed a 100 people, then feed just one. Maybe that's a pretty good way to look at at some of the help we could be to the needy. Now, all of that as a backdrop, let's take a look at stewardship. The duties and obligations of the steward. The conducting, supervising, managing of what? Something. didn't say money, did it. Something. Especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. So what are we stewards over? Everything. Everything that we have was given to us by God. Does it include money? Sure it does. But is it only money? Absolutely not. If a steward is one who manages something on behalf of someone else and all that we have belongs to God, then he's the owner. And our responsibility is to oversee and manage all that we have received. So what does God entrust us with? This is only a partial list. Our time, our opportunities, our relationships, our gifts, our resources, our money, our networks, our physical well-being, and there's a whole lot more. In fact, here's 101 ways, I'm going to read them, but here's 101 ways <laughs> to uh, to... Do good with your time, your talents. You know, offer to watch someone's kids. Not a big thing to you. <clears throat> Might be to them. Make a contribution to your local church. Uh, commit to giving to others at Christmas. Bake something. You know, Gloria or a Georgia Witchy, we heard yesterday, loved to bake chocolate chip cookies and muffins. And she always did that. Uh, send a just-because gift to a young couple. Host a baby shower. Send a card to a child in your neighborhood. You see, did Lynn leave? I've got a line for her. She left. This is for Lynn, Jim. Stewardship is not about raising the budget for the church. It is not. It's a part of it. It's a big part of it. It's a critical part of it, but it doesn't stop. Uh, Chris Goulard, who is uh pastor of stewardship at Saddleback Church. That's Rick church. Here's what Chris Goulard said. <clears throat> When most people hear the word stewardship, they grab their wallet, either to open it or to get a firmer grip. (laughs) Over the years, many well-meaning churches have misused the term stewardship. Many have mischaracterized it and used it interchangeably with giving. Chris said this has got to stop because it's much more than that. Adam Hamilton, Mike quotes Bonnie. Where's Bonnie? Adam had a friend of yours, right? He's senior pastor of Bonnie's church from Kansas City, Church of the Resurrection, right? To get it right? Adam was completing the fourth of his sermons on stewardship. And at the conclusion of that last sermon, he got, came out of the pulpit, grabbed a stool, sat down in front of the congregation, and he said, now, I want to talk to you about something that is really, really Something that really matters. And they said, I'm not asking you to give because the church needs money. I'm asking you to put God first in your living, and first in your giving. Not bad advice at all. You know, there are so many needs, and it's difficult to decide where we're going to put our resources. I, I, I understand that. Uh, years ago, Shaw and I were involved in a capital campaign. We were getting a lot of pushback from younger members of the church in, in particular because they said, we don't. And all we were doing was improving our facilities. We weren't building a new dog. We weren't doing, we weren't building anything. We wanted to upgrade the restrooms in this building. We wanted an elevator in the A building. We wanted screens <coughs> on the wall. That was interesting. Think how our service would be today if those screens were there. Anyhow, that's what we were about. And these young people said, look, we don't want to give to fixing our buildings. We don't want to give to painting the buildings and repaving the driveway and fixing water leaks. We want our money to go to missions. We want to build orphanages in Africa all around the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. And it it bothered me because... uh, Sean and I had to stand up to people and try to explain why what we were talking about was what they ought to do. So I was uh, really worried about us. So I went to that source that so many of us do when there's nowhere else to turn. I went to Malone. <laughs> I said, said Malone, you've got to help me. Here, here's what's going on. All these young people want to build orphanages. And we've got to do this work here. And help me through this. Here's what he said. He said, Don, if we don't give those people buildings to meet in and worship God in and read the Bible and study in Christian fellowship and have a place that we can go do that, there won't be any missions. He said, "Now you go tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyhow, <laughs> there is no one clear-cut answer, obviously. Um, Christians will grow spiritually and relationships with Christ will be stronger when we step up as stewards. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Billy Graham said, the highest form of worship is a worship of unselfish Christian service. He said, God gave us two hands, one to receive with and one to give with. Makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. uh, St. Teresa, back in the 16th century, she was a patron saint of people in need of grace. Here's what she said. Christ has no body now on earth Except yours. No hands, but yours. Your eyes, you, yours are the eyes through which he is going about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless people now. You see, stewardship is a way of life. I saw, heard an interview, saw an interview with uh, Rusty Gordon recently. And they asked Rusty, you, you all know Rusty, and you know where his heart is. And they said, Rusty, how, how, how do you do what you do? You give, you serve. And how do you do that? He said, I- I'll tell you. Years ago, when I did a mission trip or whatever I did or gave, it was an act. It was a transaction, something that I did. And he said, then one day it just became a way of life. It's just what you do. Pretty simple. Uh, Bonnie, remember Clayton Smith? Clayton Smith is the pastor of generosity at Resurrection Church. Is he still there? Okay. Here's what he said. <laughs> Oops, that's not what he said. What did he say? We want... hmm. Stewardship is about what the church wants for its people, not from its people. And he said, We want people to experience the joy of generosity. I think being generous completes you as a child of God. You know, many times, organizations or people or churches... Have a well intended mission, some a project and an, an endeavor, something they want to do and it's the absolute right thing to do. But to go about it the wrong way. And if you go about it the wrong way, um, it may not work. It may fail. Andy Stanley says huh? okay. the approach a church chooses trumps its purpose every time. The approach trumps the purpose every time. And I'm gonna stick my neck out. and you know? I I'm gonna tell you a little story. And please don't read it. anything into what I'm about to say, just, just bear with me. But, uh, a few years ago, but in fact, right after Mike Long came, he put together a committee that was called In His Steps. Martha Jane and I were on that committee, along with, uh, Pam Page, Ann Gordon, and Gene Motley. Talking about four saints in the center, that was quite a <laughs> <incredible. laughs> But our mission was to instill the concept of stewardship, meaning prayers, presence, gifts, and service. Several of us went over to Alabama to uh, Fraser Memorial, spent a weekend there attending their seminars, and because that's what they do. Their slogan is every member in ministry. And they live it. They absolutely live it. So we came back and, uh, we had one of us was in charge of prayers, one was uh, presence, one was gifts, and one was service. And we were to Spread that notion throughout the congregation. I thought we did a pretty good. Our pledge cards in those days, uh, when you filled out your pledge, you could make a commitment, or at least an idea of how many times you were going to worship, how often you were going to pray, how you were going to do volunteer work, and then, of course, your financial commitment. Well, we were doing pretty good, and it was decided we really don't need that committee anymore. We, we've done it. Most of the people bought into it, not everybody. So anyhow, the committee was disbanded. Years following that, we slowly reverted back to talking about money and stewardship. let card today, as it has been for several years, only meant money. And I just think that is so sad that we are missing so much. And I filled this out and I said, Andy, hey, here, let's let's look at this, let's read this thing. Only ask about money. I just anyhow. I don't mean to embarrass anybody. I know we've got some very fine people in this class on this stewardship committee. That happened over several years. But that's what can happen. And it's sad to see it happen. You've seen this scripture a hundred times in the past four weeks. But talking about a cheerful giver, there was this mother who wanted to teach a little eight-year-old daughter about giving. And they were going to church one morning, and the mother gave the daughter a dollar bill and a quarter dollar bill on the quarter and she said now look you put whichever one of these you want you give it to the church and you keep the other one she said okay so they went to church and did their thing they were going home and the mother said the little girl well which did you give the church and she said mom i was going to give them the dollar bill and just before the guys came with those little plates i heard the preacher say god loves a cheerful giver well, I knew I'd be much more cheerful <laughs>
0: if I put the quote in. So, that's what I did. <laughs> so, you gotta
1: be a little bit careful when you start quoting this stuff. Yeah, you know, I mentioned Billy Graham a while ago, now, you may, maybe know this, but a few years ago, Billy was, uh, in Charlotte, he was preaching in Charlotte, and after the time was over and he was getting his limo to go back to the airport, Billy, Billy says to the chauffeur, he says, look, I'm almost 90 years old. He said, I've always wanted to drive a limbo and I've never done it. He said, would you let me drive? And the guy said, sure, Billy, go ahead. So he gets in this big old limbo and they're going down the highway. <coughs> he's like riding on clouds, this stretch limbo. Well, his speed got away from him. Mm-hmm. Next thing he you knew, he's pulled over. A trooper comes up the side of the car. Billy rolls down the window and the trooper recognizes him. He said, Dr. Graham, excuse me. I'll be right back. So he runs back to the squad car. He calls his supervisor and he said, look, I'm kind of new at this stuff, but he said, isn't it right that if we get somebody really, really important, we can just give them a pass? I said, shit. Sure. He said, who you got? The mayor? He said, oh no, bigger than that. He said, governor? Bigger than that. He said, you don't have a president, do you? He said, bigger than that. I said, who no, in the world have you got? It? He said, well, I'm not really sure, but it might be Jesus, but Billy Graham's driving the car. <laughs> I doubt that that's true. <laughs> now, yeah. what does the Bible say about giving? Now, I know you can't read this. I did this on purpose for an effect. But these are just little snippets from the Bible. God loves a cheerful giver. More blessed to give than receive. Given it will be given to you. Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Uh, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Poor widow put in two coins and Jesus said she put in more than anyone else. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. And the one I like, there will be no collecting when I come. So you better pay up while you can. Now, here's another chart you can't read. These are charities. You know them. United Way, Salvation Army, Catholic Charities, American Cancer Society, St. Jude's, Habitat, Humanity, Care USA, Lens Samaritan's Purse. Uh, Save the Children, uh, Make-A-Wish, Talk, Make-A-Wish Foundation, Tots of Toys, and I didn't see Fred here, but Operation Second Chance, Susan D. Coleman, on and on and on. And then there are more. Now, there's only 67 of these organizations. There are hundreds, and you know them well. Tell me one thing they all have in common. They survive on gifts, don't they? Now they're, they're funded, you know there's government funding and so forth, but without the gifts, they wouldn't be there as we know them today. So just think for a moment, what would the world be like without them? What would our country be like without, without those givers? What would your life be like without them? There's a Presbyterian minister up at Lookout Mountain. He said stewardship is a matter of remembering to not forget. He was preaching a sermon on stewardship, and he said... He said... Um, He closed his sermon by challenging the congregation to not forget what God has done. He said there's a hole inside of everyone's heart. And he says that even when God richly blesses us, we are in danger of utter spiritual forgetfulness. Stewardship is a matter of remembering to not forget. Um, Mother Teresa went to Australia a few years ago. And she was going to be there several days, and the local church appointed this young priest, brand new priest, to be her gopher, to be her errand boy, to attend to any needs she might have. And boy, was he excited. He said, man, I just joined the priesthood, and I want to get spent days Mother Teresa. I got a lot of questions for her. I am going to learn so much from her. Didn't work out. She was so busy the whole time she was there that he hardly, he never saw her. He was busy doing things, running errands. He never got to see her. So... She was getting ready to leave and he went to her and he said, Mother Teresa, if I buy a plane ticket, can I sit with you on the airplane? Because I really want to learn from you. She said, you got enough money to buy a plane ticket from Australia to New Guinea and back? He said, yeah. She said, son, give that money to the poor. You will learn more from that than any, <coughs> excuse me, any conversation you and I could possibly have. Another pretty good lesson. You know, as um, Back to Novison's sermon on remembering to not forget. Moses was speaking to the Israelites as they were ready to go into Canaan. This was the last time he was going to speak to them. And he was reminding them how they had to live their lives. And he said, if you ever forget the Lord your God and, and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today, you will be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before that, Before you, you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord. Now, he talked about obeying other gods. You know, that doesn't have to be these big golden idols and things that we bow down to. What what could it be in our lives? Could it be playing golf one afternoon rather than serving in a soup kitchen because you elected to? Could that idol be, I don't know, staying home and watching Dancing with the Stars rather than coming to job networking? There are a lot of idols that will creep into our lives and get in the way of doing God's work. It is so easy to do. Moses said you'll be destroyed. So, what does our stewardship say about us? Well, it certainly shows our priorities, don't they? But how, whatever we do in the way of stewardship shows what's important in our lives. It shows our desire for fellowship. And Gail, I just said Gail said she loves coming in this room. She's got a hundred friends. Earlier this year... <coughs> Ann and I went to West Virginia for a couple of weeks. And that couple of weeks turned into seven. And i got to tell you, we we missed this church. We had never, we've been members here 28 years. We have never been away seven weeks before. And what a difference happens. Oh, we watched the stream. We did that. But it was you guys. It was you guys. We we didn't see for seven weeks. That's the fellowship. Your stewardship can show. Shows our love for God and others. Shows our spirit is right or not. So what's your stewardship say about your Christian life? Does it reflect how God has prospered you? Does it prove that you love God? You know, when it comes to giving, some people stop at nothing. It's just not a big deal. They <laughs> do that all the time. And it, it is amazing. It is amazing. When you uh, hear these preachers talk about, Malone knows this, the number of people who don't give financially. For a moment, let's talk about just the finances. I heard uh, Andy Stanley say the other day, he said, our church is run by 30% of our congregation. He said, I'm going to talk to the other 70. I'd like to see that you have a plan, a plan for your giving. You see, here's what Andy says. Nothing says hypocrite faster than Christians act expecting non-Christians to behave like Christians when half the Christians don't like it half the time.
0: <laughs>
1: he's right you know there was uh, George Barna you never heard of him, Barna, B-A-R-N-A has a consulting group and they work with churches and uh, non-profits and so forth, they did a survey of professed Christians and here's what they found out of that group 48% could not name the gospel before gospel, 52% could not identify more than two or three disciples, 60% couldn't name five of the ten commandments 61% think the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. <laughs> 71%
0: thought
1: God helps those who help themselves was a Bible verse. George Barnes says Americans revere the Bible by and large. They don't have a clue. That's the hypocrite. You see, God wants to put resources in our hands so we can be his conduit. For his blessings. Live the life that God intends for you. That's my challenge to you. Live the life that God intends for you. Bruce Wilkinson. Tom's not here. Tom likes Bruce. I figure. Bruce Wilkinson said, I aim my life toward the finish line. Because that's where I picture Christ to be. He said, I live to please him. Making sure that I am sprinting when I finally arrive at that goal. Yet the finish line is not the end. And Christ wants us to know what comes next. He filled the scriptures with many verses on this topic because he wants us to know what will come after we cross the finish line as a result of how we ran the race. Um, Stan, who's DeWitt Jones? Tell us. Stand up and tell us. Oh, this is unrehearsed. DeWitt Jones. (laughs) Go ahead, Stan. DeWitt Jones is a uh, nationally known photographer. Right. Favorite outdoor photographer, Mag is great photographer, outdoor photographer. He's kind of a, shirt, but, uh, a little bit arty for me. <laughs> 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 All right, thanks. Uh, for those who were at the uh, retreat, Rusty had a couple of videos on a guy by the name of Dewitt Jones. He was, a, he was a photographer. He was a motivational speaker. We came back and I saw Stan and I just, I knew he likes cameras and I said, Stan, did you ever hear DeWitt Jones? I couldn't stop it. He went <laughs> on crazy this guy. He reads his articles every month in the photography magazine, right? Did you right. say that? Right. DeWitt Jones said this. There is more than one right answer. No matter what you're doing, there is more than one right answer. And he illustrates this in his videos, uh, with his uh, photography. He had a a picture. He always tried to do it better. He took a really nice picture of his little granddaughter in a hammock. And it was a professional hammock, I guess you call it. And he looked at that. And it, was a, it was a great picture. But he said, I can do that. There's another right answer. So he, he took another picture. And he zoomed in a little bit. And this was you know, really touching. And then he said, but there's another right answer. I know. So he zoomed in some more. And now he got just, just her, just her head against that fishnet. Just, that's all you saw. And it was priceless right now. Right. It really. And he did this throughout these, uh, these videos. And he said, never stop looking for the next right answer. It's there. And Len, I'm going to use you as an example. Samar- Samaritan's Purse. I don't know how long you've been doing that. Probably a long time. And I will bet you, a week prior to your starting Samaritan's Purse, you weren't sitting around saying, Dave, I wish I had something to do with my spare time. I've got a feeling your plate was full. But Samaritan's Purse was your next right answer. You took that part. Those of you in Homestretch, George, Tom, Helen, and others have been there for years. And you, too, were not trying to find something to fill your time. So, all let's go to Homestretch. <laughs> Job Network, my goodness. You know, for those of you who are not familiar... Uh, On Monday nights, Job Networking feeds a very nice meal to anywhere from 225 to 325 people. And they have women, volunteers, who serve this food. Every woman on that serving line is a member of this class. There are 25 to 30 tables, Roger, probably. Every table has a table host to make these people who are job seekers, many of them in real deep trouble, to make them feel welcome and so forth. Most of those table hosts from this class. So there's always that next right answer. Don't ever stop looking. It's going to come. And when it comes, just say, I can do that too. And then he talked about breaking the pattern. He said... All of our lives are controlled by patterns, and that's, that's good. It's a guide to doing things, whatever it is we do. These patterns will lead us through it. And he said it's good until they imprison you. And when those patterns imprison you, break get, with, get rid of those patterns and take a risk. Don't be afraid to take a risk. He does it in photography. He, in his video, he did a label for uh, Doer Scotch. He went to Scotland Film Fishing. And he showed his original shots and what would have been on the label of Dewar's Scotch. And then he showed the finished product. A world of difference. And that, that's his point. Never stop looking for the next right answer. And he always said, the best is yet to come. You've got to believe it. You've got to live it. If you believe the best is yet to come, then you know there's going to be another right answer. I thought it was a great uh, video. We had two. And he, he's on YouTube. I would encourage you uh, to go on YouTube.com. Type in DeWitt Jones, and you get a whole bunch of his lectures, his motivational lectures, and a lot of videos. The video, I'll just tell you guys who were there. I tried to find the one that Rusty showed us that had the little girl and the flowers and, and the fisherman and all of that. Well, turns out Rusty bought that one. That was not available on the <coughs> YouTube, but pieces of it, it uh, is available are available, and I would encourage you to do that. So... No matter where it is, keep looking for the next right answer and believe it's there. Will Rogers said, even if you're on the right track, you're going to get run over if you just sit there. <laughs> and Bob Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, uh, if you board the wrong train, uh, it's useless running down the corridor in the opposite direction. <laughs> and Mother Teresa said, life is a game, play it. Now, Max Locato. Max Licato wrote a book called 316, The Numbers of Hope. Anybody read it? I I have not. You read it? Is it good? Good. I would think so. 316, The Numbers of Hope. That book was released on September 11, 2007. And he chose that date on purpose. Because Licato says, 9-11 are the numbers of despair. 316, The Numbers of Hope. And he says... Oh, okay. He said... um, Of course, he said it was the most famous verse in the Bible. I I, I believe that. And he said, 316 can deliver us from the despair of 9-11 in this post-9-11 life and provide us with undeniable hope. And CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network, interviewed Locato. And uh, this guy asked him, he said, Max, you wrote a book, 224 pages long, about a verse that's 26 words long. He said, what is it that makes this verse different than the other 31,000 verses in the Bible? And He said, I think it's a table of contents for Christian hope. He said, you can start with the very first primary word, God, and then go to the last word, life. And every major word in between invites you to look at a major statement about Christianity. He said, God's personality. Then God loved. He loved so much, he gave his son, that whoever believes... He said, books have been written on every one of these themes." He said, God loves. Those two words alone deserve a book. And then the guy asking, he said, if you could pick one word or phrase that would encapsulate the entire verse, what would it be? Did anybody you want to take a guess at that? One word or phrase that summarizes the whole verse. I heard something? I said believe. Believe? That would certainly be a good guess. Love. And love. Love. And love. Now, the word he said summarizes the entire thing is whoever, whoever. That's because whoever throws open the door of God's love to every person <laughs> in the world who has ever lived, regardless of gender, race, or generation. God has a place for every person. And he said, it just raises a flag and says the gates are open for whoever wants to come in. And then he said, well, Max, after people read 316, what do you want to take away today? Cato <clears throat> said I want people to be able to clearly communicate the gospel that they have experienced it and now they can articulate it. I would like for them to be, able to be able to say God loves God gave we believe we live he said if every person if every person could state the gospel even if they don't believe it and he said I would know at least they had an honest encounter with it. I think that's pretty powerful stuff You see, the gift of God is the blueprint for every act of Christian generosity. We give because he gave to us first. John 3.16 shows the biblical concepts of love and gift are inseparable. God's love is gift of love. Therefore, our love must be expressed through giving as well. If Christ's example teaches us anything about giving, it teaches us that Christian generosity is radically sacrificial. You see, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. That's from Proverbs. Somebody once said, "If I could be like anybody, who who would I want to be?" And he said, "I want to be like Jesus." And if you ask me, who do you want my who do I want my kids to be like? Like Jesus. Ask me who I want what I want my church to be like. Like Jesus. He said, "I want my church to be concerned about the things he's concerned about. To be." passionate about what he's passionate about, to be involved in what he's involved in. Because when we give what we have to help somebody in need, we're being like Jesus. Rick Warren, in his way, says, you weren't put on this earth to be remembered. You were put here to prepare for eternity. (laughs) Then he said, the only real people, really happy people, were those who have learned how to serve. Now, I'm going to close with three questions, and these are questions from the Stewardship Committee. They gave us some suggested notes. And here's the first question. I'm sorry. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example you should follow in his steps. Mm -hmm. First question. Do you believe salvation comes only through Christ? I'm getting looks like I did the last time I spoke to you folks when I said, do you believe in God? I got some weird looks. Then I said, well, do you believe God? See, that was a different question. But do you believe salvation comes only through Christ? Question two. Would an observer say that your life is lived as if the answer to number one without question is yes? Or would an observer be surprised to hear you say Christ is the source of your happiness? Number three. Are you happy with your answer to number two? (laughs) You want to work about changing it. (laughs) What did Jesus say? Go and do likewise. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we are willing to go and do more. Help us to keep looking for that next right opportunity to do your work, whenever and wherever you direct us. Remind us as we answer the next need. Remind us to turn to you and ask, what's next? We ask that you help us keep that spirit of God living and God giving alive in our hearts. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, before we all run, and I know it's a little late, but I just want to make a comment about the pledge cards. I have been on the Stewardship Committee, I've been on the Finance Committee, and I know the trials that are contained therein. It is absolutely, John is (coughs) too. Uh It is absolutely critical that we turn in a pledge card. Not a commitment in any way, shape, or form, but the treasurer's office, the finance committee, have got to know how to plan a budget. And it's like Chuck Savage said. He said, you know, I saw your job network here the other night. I saw all those cars in the parking lot. He said, that, that takes money. I know what you guys do. And he named two or three other things he observed here. And he said, it takes money. So let's not kid ourselves. Just truly consider turning in that pledge card Again, it's only an estimate of giving, but it's been very important to uh to Linda and our people. Thank you. Thanks, Don. I appreciate it. And
0: Al Temples, is he still here? I'll tell him next week. I got one, one closing comment here to leave us with, and, and Don referred in his thing about Brother Teresa. And I know they're not listening anymore, but let me just go ahead and complete this. Uh,
1: with, with what God, uh, Don has given us today, let's remember her comment says she was reminded that God does not give us any
0: burdens we cannot handle. She replied, I know, but sometimes I wish he didn't think so highly of me.